0: How is everyone? Awesome. We don't woo at church in Japan, so this is nice. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So as Tom uh, said, I am, uh, my name is Bethany Panyon, and I've been working as a missionary in Japan for the last three years, and um, I'll have a map up. I'm actually in, can you do the next slide? I'm in uh, Sendai, so this little dot up here in the area called Tohoku, so it's north of Tokyo, and um, I've been there three years now working with a local church, and I'm currently on my first home assignment, and I plan to go back in March, and so um, while I'm home, I want to ask you guys for a little bit of advice. How many of you love a good Netflix binge? All right. I have now been out of the U.S. for most of my adult life, and I need some recommendations. What shows do you guys... Okay. (laughs) Is that Day of Parks and Rec? Did somebody say that? Awesome. Awesome. I will be commandeering my parents' Netflix. Thank you very much. Well, I haven't done a Netflix binge yet, but I recently did a sermon binge, which sounds about right for a missionary, huh? Well, let me explain. I got back to the US on September 19th, and about a week after that, I needed to travel to Charlotte, North Carolina to debrief with my missions organization. And I decided to drive so that I could visit a few supporters and friends along the way. And so I was driving from St. Louis to Nashville. Anyone from Nashville? No? All right. Nashville to Charlotte, and then I went up to Lynchburg, Virginia, and then I had to make the drive back to St. Louis, and that was 28 plus hours of me driving by myself. So, that much driving, I had two action plans to not fall asleep and die. One, I just renewed my library card, and I was able to check out the Goblet of Fire on audiobook. Do I have any Harry Potter fans here? Thank you. Tom loves to make fun of how big of a nerd I am, so feel free to do so if you're not a Harry Potter fan. Um, The other plan of action that I had was I thought, why not have Tom Trask um, drop a few really loud truth bombs on me while I'm driving across the country? And I decided to download all of the Kaiafa messages up to this point and prepare for the message that I'm giving you guys tonight. And then it was really cool. Um, I listened on my way up to Lynchburg, Virginia, and I was visiting a friend who works at Liberty University, which is a, a Christian college. And I kid you not, guys, her job title is an LU Shepherd. And you guys know all about shepherds by this point. And she's basically a spiritual advisor over a large chunk of the student population. And what was even cooler is that the spiritual feeding that I just binged on was exactly the place that she was in and I was able to turn around and minister to her. And she shared with me the ways that God and the Holy Spirit are moving on her campus and touching students that have never experienced the Holy Spirit before. And I got to share with her how the Holy Spirit is moving in. Remote corners of Japan that we never would have expected to see God moving there. The Holy Spirit is moving and working, guys, and it's really exciting. Amen. Um, so I'm driving up to Liberty University listening to Tom's dulcet tones and um, I end up spending the next day touring a campus university, and I'm gonna teach you guys a Japanese word here. So, uh, next slide. Repeat after me, natsukashi. 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 So this is a word that the Japanese people say a lot, and it basically means nostalgic, and especially coming back here, (laughs) joo natsukashi. And it's really good to be back. So I want to get into it tonight. Um, You guys have been digging into one of the richest and most well-known passages of Scripture, Psalm 23. And as Tom um, said a little bit about my story, um, I grew up in a non-Christian family, and I didn't know Jesus until I was 20 years old. Thank you, Chi Alpha. But I... Somewhat knew this psalm. Um, I was a '90s kid, and in elementary school, there was a super popular rap song by someone named Coolio. Does anyone know Coolio? Okay, right. the song was "Gangsta's Paradise," <laughs> and <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and it opens with the line, "As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death." So this was my spiritual upbringing, this was my exposure to Psalm 23. So instead tonight, I want us to look at what God says about this valley. Uh, We're gonna touch on Psalm 23 verses three and four, and I want to talk tonight about resting in uncertainty. When we can't see the next place to go, how do we trust our Good Shepherd? So let's dig in and find out. So Psalm 23 from verse 1, and I'll have it up on the screen for you guys, and you can open up your Bibles as well. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, or Coolio's translation, the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. So in verse 4, we see this famous phrase, the valley of the shadow of death, or this darkest valley. In the Hebrew, um, this phrase is actually only two words, the word for valley and then the word that sometimes gets translated shadow of death. Um, It's all one word and the word is salmaveth. For those of my Harry Potter fans, doesn't this sound like parcel tongue? Salmaveth. So there are a few interpretations of this word and the one that I want to focus on tonight is not always the first interpretation we go to. Sama'veth can often just mean the shadowiest shadow. It was basically a word in the ancient Hebrew to describe pitch black darkness. In our modern world of electricity and light pollution, it's hard to imagine complete and total darkness. Um, I just recently read the Anne of Green Gables series for the first time, and Um, In one of the books, she describes something called Venus shadows. Have any of you ever heard of this? Did you know there are three lights in our sky that can cast shadows? Obviously the sun, and then the moon when it's full, but also Venus can be bright enough to cast shadows. I didn't even know it, and I had to Google it to find out. So it's really hard for us to imagine complete and utter darkness. This psalm was written thousands of years before electricity ever existed. And the Israelites would probably be using some sort of simple torch or lantern. And I have a picture of it up here. This can only help you see so far, guys. So try to imagine this complete blackness around you. Sometimes the scariest part of the valley is just not being able to see, not being able to know what's up ahead. Tom's been sharing fun sheep facts, and so I'm going to review one and kind of build off of it. Uh, He shared in one of his messages how sheep have terrible depth perception. But interesting enough, they have excellent peripheral vision, and they can actually see behind them without turning their heads. Another interesting thing about their vision is that um, they are able to perceive color, but it is not as um, advanced as the way that um, human beings perceive color. But related to that, if sheep are introduced to a new color, their first reaction is fear. They are afraid of the unfamiliar. How much are we like this? We can see what's going on around us and we have excellent hindsight. They say it's 2020. But we have a very limited view of where we're going. And if something new is introduced, our first reaction is fear. Walking through the darkest valley looks a lot like the fear of the unknown. Like sheep, we must depend on our good shepherd to keep us walking on the right path. Thinking about this sheep fact actually reminds me a lot of Peter when he walks on the water in Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. And if you have your Bibles, you can pull it up. Um, I'm just going to summarize the story here. Um, Matthew 14, verses 22 and 33. It starts in verse 22 saying immediately after this. The immediately after is um, when Jesus feeds 5,000 men along with their wives and their children with just five loaves of bread and two fish. He stays back to pray and he sends his disciples ahead of him in a boat while he dismisses the crowds. After Jesus had (laughs) Um, gotten away and prayed to his father for a a while. Um, The boat with the disciples in it had gone a long way off into the Sea of Galilee and a strong wind had come up and started battering the boat. The disciples were all awake fighting with the sea until about 3 a.m. Jesus decides that this is a perfect time to take a stroll out onto the water and scare his disciples half to death. It says that he actually terrified them and they thought he was a ghost. I really like to imagine Jesus here maybe trying to play like the best practical joke on his disciples thinking, oh, they're never gonna expect this. So after Jesus reassures them that it's him, um, Peter, being the impulsive guy that he is, asks Jesus to call him out on the water Peter begins walking, but soon, all he can see are the waves that are around him instead of Jesus, who's standing right in front of him. In his panic, even his hindsight is limited because he's suddenly forgotten all of the miracles that he's witnessed Jesus perform. He panics. He feels his fear, and he begins to sink he prays out one of the simplest and best prayers. Save me, Lord. And Jesus immediately reaches out and grabs him. And then, Peter isn't praised for the few miraculous steps he took out on the water, but instead, he gets disciplined. You have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? When I first started reading the Bible, I had a very hard time reading passages like this when Jesus is chastising his disciples. To be honest, I still do sometimes. It can feel like a punch in the gut. But Jesus, didn't you see him walk on the water? I have a knowing problem. I want to know everything before I make a decision. I'm also, um, as everyone has been sharing with me since I've come back, their own Enneagrams, I thought I'd share mine. I'm an Enneagram one, so I'm very perfectionistic, uh, and I feel acutely whenever I make a mistake or do something wrong. I always want to be in the right, and discipline is scary and sometimes painful. When I first came to Chi Alpha as a sophomore, I did not understand parental discipline. I have always had a deep sense of wanting to do good, wanting to be good, and anytime my shortcomings, my mistakes, or my imperfections showed, I felt deeply flawed. I did not understand discipline. My parents divorced when I was nine years old, and my dad lost all confidence and became powerless in his um, disciplining of his children and then um, he was more worried about being our friend rather than our father and then in my mom's house there was only one rule don't piss mom off and most of the times you didn't know that you were close to crossing the line until it was too late there was little concept of speaking truth in love in either one of my homes. And I still remember the first time that I received a dose of truth and love from Tom. And it is so seared into my memory because it was so emotionally charged for me. I don't even know if he remembers this, but we were standing around the table in the kaiofa kitchen. And talking about the, uh, the E team, the evangelism team. And I told him, oh, I could never do that. I have such a fear of rejection. And he just looks at me straight and just says, as blunt as he could, you need to get over that. I'm like, oh. <laughs> punch in the gut. <laughs> but guys, this is what shepherding looks like. So what do we do when we, um, how do we walk along the right path in times of uncertainty? One, we need to realize that we are sheep. Bah. (laughs) In one of your recent talks, Julie shared about the submission of the spirit and she taught about true humility Jesus didn't praise Peter, perhaps because it was Jesus' power that made him walk on the water in the first place. And in the end, Peter and the disciples all had the proper response. They worshipped. As sheep, we are limited. Um, I have a picture up here of kind of a, a grid And it's something that I've um, encountered a few times in um, my work as a missionary uh, with my team. Um, So up here at the top, it says you, and then over to the side, it says others. And then on each side, it says known and unknown. So the white square are the things that you know about yourself and the things that you let others see, the things that they know about you. Um, So that's all out in the open. But then you know that there are some things that you don't let everybody into. There are some things that you keep to yourself. Some things you probably don't want anybody to know. And that's um, the gray area over here. And then there's this second gray area. And this is why we need community. This is why we need the church. These are our blind spots. These are the things that other people can see about us that we can't see about ourselves. And it's the good and the bad. Sometimes we need other people to call out the strengths that they see in us because we can't see them ourselves. But we also need people to correct us and to point out our sin when we are straying or hurting others. And then we have this black square. And these are the things that others don't know, and you have, don't even have any idea that this is lurking in your heart. This black square is the things that only God can reveal. I'll tell you a little bit about my black square. In, um, as I was preparing to, um, doing my training and my support raising to become a missionary, one of the requirements that my agency told me was that I needed to get counseling. And even just being told that, it felt very raw. And again, I'm an Enneagram 1, so having flaws pointed out to me, it feels terrible. So just the idea of getting counseling terrified me. But now, after having gone through it, I will tell you, Everyone should get counseling, it's wonderful. God can really do it to reveal a lot of this black area to you. And I still remember the clearest moment when I had a turning point in my counseling. Um, God had revealed to me that when I thought I was loving others, when I thought I was serving others and um, being true in my words, He showed me that my motivation for loving others was actually not for them. It was because I had a fear of abandonment. And I was afraid people were going to leave me, and so I was trying to love them to keep them to stay. It wasn't love, guys. I was motivated by fear. And when God pointed this out to me, I was so broken. And in the same moment, I'm just crying out to God. I'm like, I've been walking as a Christian for nine years, and this has been there the whole time? And God came right in after I confessed, and he said, you couldn't handle it seeing this nine years ago, but I'm showing it to you now, and we're going to walk through this together. You're going to learn new how to walk. God is more concerned about who we become than what we do for him. In 2 Corinthians chapter three, verse 18, it says that the Lord, who is the spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. A huge part of that is God bringing the unknown darkness into the light The second thing that we need to do when we're walking in this uncertainty is we need to remember who our shepherd is. So I used to be an English teacher and we're going to have a quick grammar review. I promise you it should be mostly painless. I want us to look back at verses one through three and I want you to find the verbs. So you can turn to your neighbor and kind of point out some of the verbs you see. And if you need a little bit more review, verb is an action word. So look for the action words. Okay. So after you've found some of the verbs. Five, four, three, two, one. Next. I want you and your partner to, to decide are most of those verbs active or passive? Active. Most of these verbs are active. Who is doing the action? He guides me along right paths bringing honor to his name. This is why we can walk through the darkest valley and not be afraid. In verse 4, it also mentions the rod and the staff of a shepherd. The rod was an offensive weapon for a shepherd, but I want us to focus on the staff. The staff was used for disciplining and correcting the sheep, and it looks, I think I've got a picture of it, It looks like it reminds me of those cartoons where the character's doing something crazy on stage and then the cane comes out and pulls them off. That's basically how a shepherd used his staff. If a sheep was wandering off somewhere dangerous, the shepherd would hook the sheep and pull him back onto the right path, away from danger. In um, Hebrews 12, and I'm just going to touch on this, but you can turn there in your own Bibles. Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11. I'm going to pull out a few of the verses. We need to remember who our shepherd is. It says here in verse 5, And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as a child. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say that if you're not being disciplined, you are an illegitimate child. You are not a child of that parent. And in the end, um, in verse 11, the writer even acknowledges that nobody likes discipline, says, "No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It is painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. And training takes time, and it's painful. Tom talked about Jesus's authority and his comfort, and this is it. I've had to learn that God's discipline is always good. In Romans 8, it talks about how there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't condemn us, but he does correct us. We also know from Romans 8 that he works all things for the good of those who love him. If you have a heart that loves God, don't be afraid of mishearing him, of thinking that you have strayed too far for him to come and find you. The last thing that we need to remember when we're walking in uncertainty is that we need to recognize the fear and to push through. I used to be really hard on myself Anytime I felt fear. I would remember how it is the most common command in the Bible, fear not. And I would beat myself up for feeling afraid and I would try to push it away. But I've learned now how important it is to recognize the fear. Oftentimes, when you feel fear, It can be a sign that you need to push through it and see what God has for you on the other side. Guiding sheep through the darkness was just one of the job requirements of being a shepherd. Typically, what the shepherds would do is they would carry their own torch or lantern like I showed you earlier, and then there would be another one hanging high above the sheepfold, and the sheepfold might look something like this. And they would have a post high up so you could see the sheep, uh, the sheep fold a long way off. This is often one of the ways that our good shepherd guides us. He shows us something ahead, the place that he is leading us to, and then he holds a light so that we can only see a few steps in front of us. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Many times we can only see the next couple steps ahead of us, and we need to move forward in faith and take those steps out on the water like Peter did. In a message earlier this year, Tom shared with you guys different ways that you could learn to hear the voice of your good shepherd through his word, through his people, through prayer, through peace. And I can tell you from experience that this is exactly how God led me to where I am today as a missionary in Japan. When I first came to Mizzou, I was studying journalism, and I thought that I would be a journalist for the Rolling Stone magazine. Obviously, that didn't happen. I could not have prepared myself for God getting a hold of me and completely changing the course of my life. There are so many pressures when you guys are in college, right? My senior year. How many of you guys are seniors? Yeah. I was terrified of graduating. Anybody there with me? Yeah. <laughs> I was terrified of making these huge decisions. Terrified that I would make some mistake that I would regret for the rest of my life. I was terrified to leave Chi Alpha my spiritual home, and I was terrified that I might fall away from the Lord. Looking back on it now, I can see that as I went into my student teaching, because at this point I changed my major, that I was spiraling into a depression that would have lasted about two years. I'm sure that Missy Trask can still remember praying for me for hours the night before I had these huge interviews and I ugly cried my way through a nervous breakdown. I still had a lot to learn about who God was and how beloved I was by him. Don't do what I did, guys. After I gave my life to Jesus, I all but purposefully did not pray about what I should do with my future because I was a scholarship student, and I was afraid if he changed my path again that... I wouldn't have enough money to finish school. That is silly. If God tells you to do something, he will provide. I hadn't learned that yet. (laughs) I needed Missy's godly counsel and I needed her prayers. When I woke up the next morning and the anxiety that I had been feeling for months was gone, I knew that God was up to something. And after a few weeks, I found out that I had gotten my teaching fellowship and I was placed at a school in St. Louis. But a year later, I lost my job. I had graduated into the recession and the school that I was working at was going through massive budget cuts and the whole district, they fired, they, sorry, laid off 70 teachers. I was depressed, I was stressed out, and I was lost. I kept failing job interviews, and eventually I ended up going to the Mizzou Job Fair and not thinking much of it. I looked at the map and I was trying to figure out the places I would go practice interview with first because if I bombed that interview, it's fine. I wasn't gonna go there anyway. First one I went to was a booth for Japan. That's what God said. (laughs) So, I still didn't think much of it, walking away from um, meeting the only Christian that whole day. (laughs) And it wasn't until after I failed every other interview that I was desperate. And I was lost, and I went and got prayer at my home church, and I got... Lightly disciplined again by the sweetest little old lady you will ever know. Um, she was praying. I shared my, my story with her, and she prayed for me, and she said, uh, I feel like God's telling you you can't steer a parked car. Because I was just waiting for God to tell me what, I, what to do, and then I would follow. But he wasn't going to have it that way. I needed to take some steps of faith. So prayerfully, I applied for this um, teaching job in Japan, and I asked God that if this wasn't his will, please close the doors. And all of the doors stayed wide open. I couldn't imagine moving to Japan one month before the 9.0 earthquake and tsunami disaster that devastated the East Coast near where I was living and it actually, did you guys know it shifted the earth's tilt on its axis? I could not have expected God to send me to Japan at that time. And even more, I couldn't have expected in the first 24 hours after the disaster that God would send me the same Bible verse 3 times. Esther 4:14. You were prepared for such a time as this. And I knew I was staying. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew I was going to stay. And I ended up staying for four years. I couldn't imagine staying at the school as long as I did. And then during that time, God slowly calling me into missions because he knew how freaked out I was. At first, I was still really stubborn, and I did not want to do support raising. So I made a plan for myself that I would work part-time at the school and that I would volunteer the rest of my time part-time with the church. And God was merciful, and he actually created a position for me to work at the school part-time. And so I was doing both for about a year. And I couldn't tell then, um, but God knew, that I was on the edge of burnout again. And it came to a point where the school... um, needed the the job position the trainer position that they had created for me they decided they needed it to be a full-time position and so i recognized it that it was a decision god was putting before me two good things do i go back to teaching english at the school that i loved and the students that i loved or do i do this scarier unknown path of trying to Figure out being a missionary at this church and not knowing how God was going to provide for me. And God talked in an, uh, sorry, God spoke through Tom. Um, Tom talked about um, the sense of peace that you can have um, when you're praying and trying to make a decision. And I basically, I had no peace about going back to the school. And I knew that God was calling me to work with the church full time. And by this time, I learned that God provides, so I was a little more ready to trust him. I couldn't imagine becoming the person that I am today, tackling one of the most difficult languages for English speakers. I think one of the very first missionaries uh, to Japan was a Jesuit priest, and he said that it was the devil's tongue. (laughs) It's hard, guys. I couldn't imagine taking on that challenge just so I could teach the Japanese people about how awesome our God is, how much he loves them, and how he has good plans for them in Jesus. If God had showed me any of this 10 years ago, I would have been overwhelmed. I wouldn't have been able to take it if he showed me 10 years ago about the depths of sin and shame that he would be uprooting from my heart as we walked together, I would have given up. I wouldn't have been able to comprehend it. Ephesians chapter 2 is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, especially the first half. It begins in verse 1 with Paul being as clear and as blunt as Tom Trask you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And that is where I was. I was dead. And you know what, coming to life again is painful. And it's not something that you can do for yourself. Paul then uses two of the best words in the whole English language and says, but God. He doesn't leave us dead, but because of his mercy and his love, he raises us up with Christ. Paul rounds it out in verse 10 when he says that we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. and He created us in Christ Jesus to walk in in the good works that God prepared beforehand. When God formed you, he already had his good works planned for you guys. Trust that he is the one leading you in the paths of righteousness. And you are going to have to push through a lot of fear along the way. But take heart, he will give you everything you need because he's already given you himself. And be prepared because he will be calling many of you to leave behind everything you have ever known to follow him into unknown lands, unknown languages, and unknown people. And all you have to do is be ready to say yes. Go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes.